Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. We are currently in stage two of our COVID-19 response where the church building is open for you to join us in person for worship. However, we will continue to broadcast the service live at 10 a.m. each week. Now, here's this week's message. Be seated. What, just what an incredible time of, of worship, wasn't it? I hope, I hope you were inspired by that, and I hope you paid attention to, to the order of how those songs went. We went from talking about the creator God and, and how he has just made everything. And then we talked about um, how the power, of the graves in the garden, the power of Jesus, how he can do anything. He made everything. He can do anything. And then we talked about who he says we are as his children. And if you praised, if you sung, and, and some of y'all, if you don't sing, give it a shot. Because sometimes you make me feel uncomfortable for singing. So give it a shot, Chuck. Give it a shot, because I've seen Chuck at football games. I don't mind calling him out. If we can scream out for football, we can scream out for the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's give it a shot. Now, uh, we're in our fourth week. I'm, I apologize, Chuck. Um, the fourth week on the series about sex. And so if you have little kids that are watching, little kids who are, who are in the same room or even in this room, just know if that made you uncomfortable, I said that. We're gonna talk about other things that'll make you feel uncomfortable as well. So we have great rooms in the back or maybe turn the TV on in another room as we talk about this topic. So just to get you caught up on my family situation, Daniela, she's now seven. And Daniela has a big problem right now with, with China. In fact, all of my kids do. I know, just wait. She will look at every single thing that gets put in her hand to see where it was made. And she just cannot believe that everything is made in China. She gets so aggravated. She'll go, China, China, China. She'll go through stuff like China makes absolutely everything. And, and she just can't believe it. She's astonished. And the other day I was like... Somebody putting political stuff in her mind? Is someone like telling her about the economy of America? Like, where is this coming from? And so I said, Daniela, what do you think? Do you think like things need to be made in America? Is that what you're getting at? She goes, no, daddy, we can't make anything. Only China can. And I said, she's seven years old and gave up on her country already. Hopefully that'll change as she gets older. But the funniest is when we were sitting there and she was writing about China, we were actually at the beach. She was looking at one of the hats and I'm it's weird. I know you're just stay with me. She was ranting about China and she goes, everything's made in China. She goes, she looked at me and Jess, we were sitting down. She said, y'all were made in China. Jessica said, no, honey, God made us. She said, well, God may have made us, but China put us together. I'm confident of that. And we just laughed. We're like, she just cannot help it. Now, while her aggravation of China is funny to me, and I'm not making that up. It's, it's I don't know where she gets it from, but she reminds me that we're all searching. We're all searching for the same best basic questions of who we are and where we fit into this world. And at seven years old, she's trying to figure, figure out where our country fits into the world. I know she's gonna be economist or something like that. I don't, I don't understand it. But we all ask the same kind of questions. Who are we? What are we supposed to do? And where do we fit into this world? Are you with me? I mean, everybody does this. Every grade school kid is, is searching in this life. Who is he? Like Tyler, I had him in the other day in our bathroom. I was, I was doing his hair, you know, getting it ready for school. And we have two sinks in our bathroom. Just a side note, did you know that's when I knew I made it? 
I don't know what your threshold in life was, but when I had two sinks in my bathroom, I said, I have arrived. I just couldn't believe, I've never had two sinks before. It was amazing. We had two sinks and I was getting ready to, to fix this here for school. And he said, daddy, am I at the boy sink? I said, son, what do you mean? He said, well, that's the girl sink over there. I can't use that. I'm a boy. I, I have the boy thing. And I was going, man, at, at five years old, he's looking at his identity as a boy and trying to make sure he gets it right. Now to explain to him that you can use any sink, son, your gender doesn't matter about what, what sink. They're all okay, but we all go through this. Every teenager asks these questions and they try to figure out who they are through sports, through music, through dress. How many of you look back at your teenage years and laugh at what you wore? Only five of y'all, the rest of you bring in your pictures and let me see them. If you feel good, I mean, I feel good about how I looked. My wife makes fun of me. We've been over that, but I liked how I looked back then. But we all are searching for our identity. And as adults, we go through the same thing. We are no different. We try to find our identity in our jobs and our hobbies and our marriages and our relationships and, and with our kids. All right, how many of us have found who we are through our kids or try to turn our kids into who we should have been? All right, all of us search for these things. Who am I and where do I fit in? And the bottom line that I need to explain about identity is this, is our identity must be shaped vertically. That is who we are in relation to God rather than horizontally, which is our efforts in this world. And naturally, every single human being, all of us, we all share this in common. All of us will try to define ourselves by what we do, what we do in this world. We will think, I am my success. I am my education. I am my relationships. I am my possessions. Or I am my sexuality. And what you believe what you believe about yourself is what you will live into. Who you think you are will influence your decisions, your thinking, your choices, and your behavior. And when your identity is in the wrong place, it will absolutely will come crashing down on you at some point or another in your life. And you already know this. I mean, think about it. When your job defines you, y'all ever met people who are absorbed in their careers? Don't nudge your spouse. They know who they are. You ever met people who are, were just defined by their job? They were so obsessed with it. What happens when they retire? They feel lost. Feel like they don't have a purpose anymore. You've met people who you knew had to retire or should have retired three, four, five years before, but they just couldn't let it go because their job is who they were. What do you do when you climb the ladder of success? You climb the ladder thinking, that's it. This is my identity. You get to the top just to find out it's, well, it's empty. I mean, how many rich people have you seen absolutely miserable thinking this will satisfy, this will make it all worth it, and then they find it doesn't? When your relationship defines you, what happens when that relationship's over? So, Brian, my relationship, one way or another, relationship's gonna be over. You follow me? The, the way humans work, one of us will pass or, or something like that. What happens when that relationship is over? How will you continue on? Or when your identity is wrapped up in sports, what happens when you're not good enough to play? All right, and you think, well, I'll always be able to play. No, there's a thing called age, right? It catches up with all of us. I'm getting real old now. When I've been down, sometimes it hurts, and y'all laugh at me, but I'm getting there, okay? I'm, I'm getting there. See, the problem is if anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ shapes us, if anything other than Jesus tries to shape our identity, we are setting ourselves up for failure. 
Because your money, your sports, your education, your job titles, your relationships, your sexuality, none of those things will fill the greatest needs you have as a human being. And we plan to do a whole sermon series on identity later. If this is new language for you, talking about identity and how you're shaped and made, things like that, we'll talk about it in a full length later, but from now on, you're just gonna have to trust me on those things because we're gonna get specifically now. Because specifically for this series, we must understand that our identity is not shaped by, excuse me, cannot be defined by sex, our sexuality, or our sexual experiences. Our identity cannot be found in sex. Because as we've learned already, sex, whoa, what can affect you greater than anything else? Sex has a way of just staying with you. And the sins, as we talked about, you can be forgiven for sexual morality, but sexual morality tends to be unforgiving. It can stay with you. It can be lingering long effects from that sin. And you have to watch out because sex, it'll try to take control. It'll try to take over. Say, Brian, what, what do you mean? Come on, well, help me with this. How else do you explain the fact that I have seen countless families relationships, spouses, completely ruined because of sex. Where people have chosen to allow their sexual desires to come before their families, their commitments, and their spouses. You've heard of seen it, people abandon everything they've committed to to be happy sexually. If that's not your identity, what is it? If you will chase that above everything else. Lusting after others or sexual orientations change later on in life. I've seen people frozen in fear because of what somebody has done to them. They went through something traumatic sexually and their identity is now wrapped up in that experience. And for those of you who have experienced those traumatic events, I am sorry that has happened. I am sorry you've experienced that but that is not your identity. That is not who you are, what happened to you. And I have seen people who feel they are the sum of their mistakes and sin. They no longer feel worthy of love in a healthy, good relationship. They say, well, everything I've done, I'm not, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of goodness. See, their identity is rooted in, this, in sex. And just what I wanna point out today is that all of these experiences that has to do with sex and the sin with sex, it all starts with a simple, a simple thought. Did you know that all of your sin starts with a thought? And all of your sins in regard to this starts with a thought because the battle that goes on with our minds starts with a thought. You can choose to believe what God says about you you can choose to believe what God has asked you to do and, and, and understand how it'll work out better in your life or you can choose to believe those thoughts. But you can't do both. You see, we all struggle with our identity. That's the battle each and every one of us will face. We try to get it through our career or through sex or through hobbies or through money. We all struggle with identity and we have to answer the question, am I who God says I am? Or am I, what would I think? Or what others think? Or what others say I am? And what I wanna let you know up front is you're not who you think you are. 
You're not who others say you are. You're not what's happened to you. You're not what's wrong with you. You're not your sin. You are who God says you are. And you must let what God says about you shape your thinking, your choices, and your behavior. So today I want us to look at two people that'll help bring this to light. The first one is the idea that you're not who you think you are. We're gonna dive into the book of Judges. It'll be back here on the screen. But the book of, a Judges, is, it, the book of Judges is a very dark book. When you hear Judges, you think of courtroom, right? Think of someone sitting behind, smacking a gavel. It's not what it's about at all. But it's a very dark book filled with the nation of Israel doing horrible things. And every time they do horrible things, they turn their back on God. Then God would give them over to their sin. Then they would realize that what they're doing, they don't like the consequences of sin. They'd cry out to God. He'd come rescue them. What happens after you're rescued? You get comfortable. You get back into sin. And the process just kept repeating over and over. God would deliver them, rescue them, leave them to sin. And it's just a dark period for the nation. So the story we're about to look like, the story we're about to look at is where Israel's in a very bad state. Look at this, Judges 6, 11 through 12. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak and Oprah. I thought it was Oprah. It's not, okay? It's not Oprah, it's Oprah. And belonged to Josiah the, I should have practiced this before I came up here, shouldn't I have? Of the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. What's that say? Man, yes. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And we may not pick up on the irony of this, but what we have to understand is a mighty warrior here wouldn't be hiding away threshing wheat. In the same way, a special forces soldier wouldn't be in the back baking bread, would they? There's a war going on. There's bad things happening. So the idea that this mighty warrior is in the back hiding in a wine press going through wheat is, is very ironic. Going, how can he be a mighty warrior? Verse 13 says, pardon me, Lord, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why? There's that why. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us to the hands of Midian. See, he wants to know why. Same way we want to know why. We think, well, if, if God is with us, why is all this bad stuff happening? Why is all this? But listen, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, you are a mighty warrior, but instead of listening to what God says about him and listening to the fact that this angel has appeared, he was to point out and wants to know the why. Where is God? What's going on? Never mind who you say I am. I want to know why. Look at verse 14. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, go in the strength you have to save Israel. You want to know about the why? But I'm telling you what's next. And if we're honest, isn't that where some of us are when God is calling us or God is speaking into our lives? We want to look back. 
We don't know why. Why, Lord? Why did this happen? Why am I in wearing? That says, no, 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 no. Here's what I have for you to do next. Here's what you're doing next. You want to go back. I'm trying to send you forward. And he says, am I not sending you? But Gideon's response is, I'm the weakest. My family is the weakest. But yet the angel of the Lord had already said he was a mighty warrior. In fact, he told him to go within the strength he already possessed. How is it that God can say you're a mighty warrior, you have the strength to move forward, but yet you can still think you're the weakest and the least? Isn't that where some of us are? We choose to believe what we think about us. When God has already declared you a mighty warrior, when God has already declared that I got great things for you, but we're still sitting here running around going, but I'm the weakest and I'm the least. But I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not tall enough. Or I'm too big. Or I'm too short, right? I mean, it goes back and forth. We're sitting here caught up in our own thoughts rather than listening to who God says he is. You see, Gideon has already been defeated mentally. He doesn't have a vision for what could be. He doesn't have a vision to what should be. His faith is small. His credentials aren't good enough. And it does come back. Gideon does great things for the Lord, but in the end, it doesn't turn out well for him because he constantly doubts. He constantly doesn't listen to the Lord and who the Lord says he is. And we do the same things. We go, well, don't you know who my family is? Don't you know how poor we are? Don't you know how uneducated I am? I just can't. Lord says, yes, you can. You see, just like Gideon, God knew Gideon's potential, do you know he knows your potential? Just like Gideon didn't think he was good enough, didn't think he was smart enough, do you know some of you are still sitting there and frozen in fear, thinking the same things? Yet God has already declared great things for you to do. See, Gideon was limited by his thoughts. Look at verse 16. Says the Lord answered, I will be with you. He told him to go in his own strength, meaning there was something inside of him. Gideon had to play his part. God's not going to just do everything while you sit idle and watch TV. You have a part to play, and God has a part to play. He said, You go in your own strength, but I will be with you. Isn't that the same thing that Jesus says to us when he gives us the great commission? I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You see, God never sends you to go into a battle, into this life alone. He says, I will be right there with you. I won't abandon you. I won't leave you. You see, Gideon ended up being this mighty warrior. And as Christians, I need you to understand something very important. The Christian life is lived by faith. The Christian life is lived by faith. We're like, yeah, Brian, I know. No, no, it's lived by faith in what God says is true. Meaning when God says something is true, we act according on what his truth is. We don't live by faith just sitting back, just listening, doing hypothetical, theoretical conversations. We live by the faith in our actions. Meaning if God has declared something true or God has said, Gideon, you've already won. You will strike down all the Midianites. He's saying, I've already taken care of it. You just got to move forward with it. You then act and you live upon the truth that God has spoken. God has said some amazing things about you in Christ. God has said some amazing things about who you are now in him. But you know, as well as I know, we not only fight what we think about ourselves, if we're honest, we also fight what people say about us. 
Anybody ever picked on growing up? Just me? Just me and Eric. Nobody else? All right, come on. All right. Listen, if you didn't know, we got to be honest eventually. We all deal with the fact that we don't but we want people to approve of us. We all do with the fact that we want people to like us. And the people who says, I don't care, they're lying. Everybody deals with this. Everybody cares what people think. Everybody deals with their worth in society. We're all searching to fit in. And there's a story in the three gospels, all three of them have it about Jesus being asked to go to a Jewish leader's house to heal his daughter. And you know, Jesus had mixed relationship with these leaders, but this one came to him, fell on his knees and said, Jesus, I need you to go heal my daughter. She's dying. Not like will die, but she's in the final stage. Call hospice. This is the end. She's dying right now. Come heal my daughter. Look what it says. Mark 5, 24. It says, so Jesus went with him. He's in a crowd, in a public place. He's teaching. This ruler comes and falls at his knees. Come heal my daughter. So Jesus goes. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him, meaning he's in the middle. Everybody's trying to see Jesus touching, bumping elbows, things like that. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Maybe you know the story. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet, insisted of get, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So Jesus, here's a scene. Jesus is in a public place with a lot of people. He's teaching. A leader comes, falls as neat, say, come. But there's an unnamed woman present. What is she known as? She's known as the bleeding woman. She's known by what's wrong with her. She's known by her ailments. She's known by something she can't even control. In fact, when they were writing, none of the gospel writers actually mention her name. She's just known as the bleeding woman. She's known by what happened to her. She's known by what can't be fixed. And everybody would have known about this ailment because she's Jewish, which means if she was bleeding for 12 years like this, she would have been considered unclean, which means she couldn't go and worship. She was deemed as an outcast, not good enough. Everybody knew her by what happened to her. The unnamed woman. She was told, you're unhelpable. She was told, you're unclean. Because she suffered a great deal and spent all her money. Instead, she just kept getting better. I mean, get better, she grew worse. How many of us keep searching to get better, but we're just getting worse? You see, her issue became her identity to everybody else. But she wasn't done. Look at verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she, what's that? Thought. Because she thought, starts with a thought. Everything does. She thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Everybody else told her she was unhelpable. Everybody else told her she wasn't good enough. Everybody else told her she was unclean. In fact, everybody else said, you're just that, you're an outcast. You're not good enough. You're not great. 12 years. Can you imagine suffering for 12 years? Some of you say, yes, because I'm doing it right now. She was still hopeful. 
She heard about Jesus and went to him. She didn't live defeated. She kept searching. She kept knocking and it started with a thought. And look at what happens. Verse 29. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? My clothes. And you got to love the disciples here because this woman was immediately healed. Remember it said he was in a crowd. They were gathered around him. They're bumping. Jesus is moving. There's a large crowd. He's touching all sorts of people, but he wants to know who touched him. The disciple said, you see, next slide. You see the people crowding against you? They're like, Jesus, you ask us a lot of riddles. You tell us stories we don't understand all the time. And now you want us to know who touched you? They said, you see the people crowding against you, the disciple answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? They're like, Jesus, come on, this is unreasonable. How can we possibly answer this? Jesus was going to a high profiled leader's house to heal a dying little girl. And yet he stopped for this unnamed woman. This one that everybody else said wasn't good enough the one that everybody else identified through her problems. Jesus stopped and said, no, she's important too. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. So he stopped. He said, I'm not going anywhere until they come forward and tell me who touched me. And you see, she came and fell at his feet in fear. And why? Two reasons. Number one, she was already deemed unclean. Which means this is a rabbi, one who is healing, one who's performing miracles, one who is connected with God. And if she's been deemed unclean and she starts touching this clean rabbi, what happens to Jesus? Does he become unclean now? And now that he's unclean, does it stop him from going to this little girl's house who he's supposed to heal? There's a lot going on there, a lot at stake. But notice, when you're unclean, you touch Jesus. He doesn't become unclean, you become clean. You get what he has. He gives it to you. So she's in front confessing, and I wonder, I wonder what the whole truth was. How far, how far back do you think she went? What do you think she explained? I don't know. But he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Did you know this is the only time that Jesus ever calls somebody daughter? We know her as the bleeding woman, but she's the only person Jesus ever called daughter. Everybody else knew her by her ailments. Everybody else knew her by her bleeding. Everybody else knew her by what's wrong with her. But how did Jesus identify her? What did he say to her? Daughter. That's who he says she is, his daughter. 
Not the bleeding woman, not the unclean woman, not the outcast, not the not good enough, not the one in sin. He said, daughter. She is a child of God. And he says, your faith has healed you. Now go be free from your suffering. Jesus says, go in peace. Go in the peace of God is what that is. And be freed. And that's what many of you need to hear this morning with the sin you're dealing with. You need to leave here and you need to go in the peace of God. And you need to be freed from your suffering. From that stuff you're carrying around. From that identity crisis. From wrapped up in what happened or what you did. And it started with a thought. She thought if I go to him, if I touch him, I will be healed. It started with hope. You see, Gideon said, I'm just weak. I'm not good enough. My family's not good enough. God said, you're a mighty warrior. Everybody told this woman, you're unclean. No one can help you. You're not worthy. You're an outcast. But God said, you are a child of God. And you can be freed from your suffering, your ailments, and your pain. You see, through Jesus Christ, you and I, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is really important. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. Your identity isn't what you've done or what you're doing. Your identity is being a child of God. Meaning when he sees you, he sees you as his child. And those of you who are parents or those of you who who have family members that you just love, you know the feelings of that. You can't but help love your child. And there are times you don't want to love your child, but you can't help but love them because they're your child. That's how God sees you. That's how he looks at you as his child. Look what happens when you come to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I hope you know this verse. If not, you should memorize it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we went through our our Ephesians study, if you were with us, we went through the book of Ephesians, we learned that in Christ is the same as being born again. It's we are hidden in Christ, right? When we're saved, what's true of him becomes true of us, right? You remember that? Those of us in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. In Christ, it's new. If you were born again, believer in Jesus Christ, the old is gone. You can be redeemed. It is new. You can be set free. There's something different available to you. We no longer identify by our job, by our career, by our education, by our bank account, by our family. We now identify because you can't get any higher than God. Do we understand that? All those other things you identify are so low. It doesn't matter how rich you are, it's so low compared to being a child of God. To being loved and accepted by him. All things are new. It doesn't matter what your parents think. You don't have to be defined by your job or by your parents or by your sin or what that spouse said. In Christ, you are a child of God. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are set free. In Christ, you are not your sins. You are not your temptations. You are a temple. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are important. You are valuable and you are loved. Why live any different than that? But we have to choose. 
Look at one pastor. He's a pastor and an author writes. He says this. He says, I slip in and out of believing God's word about me and trusting his works for me. He says, Jesus gave his life to make me a new creation. He died to forgive me of my sins and change my identity from sinner to saint, from failure to faithful, from bad to good, and even righteous and holy. But I forget what he has said about me. I forget what he has done for me. And sometimes it isn't forgetfulness. Sometimes it's just plain unbelief. I know these things. I just don't believe them. And I bet if we were honest, we all have a little bit of unbelief when it comes to our faith. By truly believing what God says about us. Truly believing what's available to us. But we don't have to live in light of what we've done. You don't have to live in light of what someone has done to you. You can live in light of what God has done for you. The great love he demonstrated on the cross. And he wants to set you free from suffering, from your pain. And he wants to give you this peace. This peace that will get you through this world. No matter what you've been through. You say, Brian, well, you don't understand. We'll talk about it next week. Because a lot of times it comes through forgiveness, which is one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? But you are who he says you are. He's the one who's created you. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who's purchased you. And the reason why the scripture is so adamant about this, that you've been adopted, that you've been sealed, that you've been marked, that you've been purchased, you've been redeemed. The reason why the scriptures keep repeating this to us over and over, it's because something we have to remind ourselves, we're not what we think. We're not those negative things. We aren't our failures. We aren't our sin. We are something different. We are children of God through Jesus Christ. And we can live as children of God through Jesus Christ. But the tension we face every day is believing what other people say or believing what we think versus choosing to believe what God said about us. Because we live in a world full of negativity, don't we? This world's pretty negative. Everybody think the world's negative or positive? Negative? Some, I, all right, I'm gonna stop asking you to raise your hands. I guess we're just not participating. I'll start calling people out. From now on, I'll just call you by your name and ask you. You say, well, how do we live in our true identity? Well, I'll give you a story. A couple of weeks ago, somebody hacked into my Sam's Club account. Y'all ever had that happen? No? Well, yeah, okay, some of us. I did. Not a fun experience. They hacked into my Sam's Club account where my email address is and my credit card information is saved. And it was very nice to them. They renewed my Sam's membership. I was like, that's very thoughtful. I appreciate that. <laughs> and then they proceeded to purchase $3,200 worth of Samsung phones. And it affirmed what I knew all along. All non-Apple users are criminals. That's what I realized. That's what I got from it. I said, see, buying Samsung criminals. That just makes sense. I, I get it. That's what happens. But what they did was so smart because not only did they order $3,200 worth of smartphones and renew my membership, that was kind. They then bombarded me with emails. And I don't know if you know about this, but it was brilliant. They signed my email address up to something they have where I've received 1,400 emails like that. Because how could I find the one purchase in the midst of 1,400 other fake emails, newsletters, 
So they thought they were smart, but Apple is smarter. I just want to let you know, called it. So I was lucky because I got that, that one email, the one that had the pertinent information, they tried to cover it up with a bunch of spam emails. And I said, that is brilliant. These criminals were smart. But what if we did that? What if instead of trying to focus on how to get the negativity out of our life, what if instead of focusing on that one bad thing or how do I get it, which makes negativity a thing, what if we just bombard ourselves with good things? What if we just bombard ourselves with what God says? It's kind of like if a cup is dirty, do you go searching after that one little piece or do you just pour a bunch of clean water in it and let the clean water take care of it? Yeah, it's much easier just to let the clean water take care of the dirty water, isn't it? Instead of just trying to figure out how do I give it to it, just pour a bunch of clean in it. And so what if we just bombarded ourselves with good things, with positive things? What if instead of focusing on the negativity, come on, let's be honest, so many people focus on the negative things in life. But what if instead of focusing on the negative, we focused on the positive? So here's what I want you to do. Number one, fill yourself with God's word. You say, well, Brian, that's just a preacher thing to say. It is, but it's true at the same time. If you fill yourself with God's word rather than fill yourself with social media or the media, neither one of them are very positive right now, are they? Do you spend more time on social media or God's word? No wonder you're so negative. We just figured out why. That you are what you put in, right? If I just put negative, 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 negative. How am I going to be positive? But what if I just put in what God says about me? What if I listen to positive preaching? What if I surround myself with positive people? What if I just filled myself with God's word and allowed what he says about me to affect me? Because did you know we've talked about it before and I just find it amazing. You cannot think about two things at once. It just blows my mind that I never thought about that or learned that before. You can only think of one thing at a time. So if you're thinking of positive things, what can't you think about? The negative. But if all you're doing is thinking about the negative, you won't think about the positive. So fill yourself with God's word. That's why he tell you to read it because we really believe he wants to speak in your life and wants to change you and redeem you and set you free from negative things because you will be reminded that you're not your temptations. You're not the sum of your mistakes. You're not your career. You're not your job title. You are so much bigger than that. So number one, fill yourself with God's word. Number two, take your thoughts captive. This is a big one because you know as well as I do, you can put as much positive things into your life, but there's that one negative thing that somebody says, right? That one thing that just gets you and it eats at you and it just bothers you. So I want you to take it captive. Look at what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10. He says this. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And this is so important because just like that woman who was bleeding didn't let the negativity of everybody else stop her from living into who God said she was. Even if we bombard ourselves, we're still going to get that one comment. So what Paul says is grab hold of that thought. Compare it to what God says about you. Take that negativity and compare it to the gospel. Let the gospel 
set you free. Let the gospel bombard that negativity. So when you get that thought that I'm not good enough, take it captive and say, well, let's see if that's true compared to what God says about me. When it comes to our sins, it always starts with a thought. Do we start fantasizing? Do we start playing it out over and over? Do we start telling ourselves that we aren't good enough? And you're right, my mom said I wasn't good enough. The teacher in school said I wasn't good enough. In fact, I can't afford all the nice stuff. And where does it end up? Next thing you know, you just sit in your room crying. But Paul says, no, 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 don't, don't, give those, don't give those things the time. Take them captive. Grab hold of that negativity. Compare it to what God says about you. And allow God's truth. Choose to believe God's truth over that. And number three, we're almost done, is find the right tribe. And what all this is saying is, church, we need each other. If you hang out with a bunch of negative people, don't be surprised if you're negative. If you hang out with a lot of people who are just stuck in their sin or they're cheating on their spouses, come on, you know those people at work. If you're hanging out with that stuff, if you're involved in that, don't be surprised when it starts affecting you. Because we learned that Paul said when it comes to sexual sins to what? Does he say play in the middle, kind of play in the gray area, see if you can overcome it? What does he say? Flee, run. Because you're not as strong as you think you are. He says run. So hang out with positive people. That's what the church is all about. Brothers and sisters in Christ coming together, encouraging each other and lifting each other up. And which means if you're in church, stop being negative. Encourage people. Build them up, lift them up in the name of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't come to church and be bombarded with negativity, correct? We get enough of that out there. We should come here to be lifted and filled by each other and through his word. And so this week, I just want to remind you that you're not who you think you are. That negative stuff, that's not you. You're not what other people say about you. You are a child of the most high God through Jesus Christ. And sexual sins have a way of grabbing a hold of us and making us think we're less than or we're not good enough or I must be something over here. Take that captive. Compare it to what God says about you and live into your true identity as a son or daughter of the Most High God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are the truth and we desire to live by faith according to your truth. Father, your truth will set us free. But in so many ways, we are deceived by lies. We deceive ourselves. We're deceived by what others say. But Father, we choose to walk in light, knowing that you love us and accept us as we are. Father, we invite the spirit of truth and to guide us And we pray for your protection from deception and help us believe who you say we are. Father, there's so many people hurting, are in pain. Father, let them hear from you going free. Go free. Go free from your suffering. Father, let them feel your peace as they take those thoughts captive. As they start being thankful to you. Father, you love us. And it's amazing to think about that you love and you care. And if if we confess our sins, if we tell you the whole truth, 
You'll forgive us from all unrighteousness. Father, we thank you for that. Allow us to experience the new. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.